Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of Sheologians. We're here today to put the her and goat herder. Oh, <laughs> didn't we do sheep herder before? Sheep herder is a double though, she and her. Right. Are you practicing for the Facebook comments we're going to get about this? I don't know. Goats <laughs> and sheep are not the same thing. They're not the same. And goat herders and goat and sheep herders are not They're the not same. They're not the thing. same. Also, goats are a really important part of my life. Because my youngest child only drinks goat milk. Right. So this is different. And I don't want any emails about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. My oh, name. don't say that, though. Oh, right. Because <clears throat> you're all, of course, free to email us about goats and sheep if you want. <laughs> but I'm just recommending that you save your time. <laughs> anyway, my name is Summer, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. And Joy, I want you to know, and I mean this. Like, this is real. Okay. This one, like, I know we make... Have all of yours not been real? Well, like, some all of, of them... All of mine have been real. <laughs> some of them can't be real because, like, Benjamin Button time things aren't possible. Right. But That's this not one... not a disease that exists. Right. But okay. what I'm saying is, is that if MySpace was still a place that I hung out, you for sure would be in my top eight. Just the FYI. real question, though, is would Tom be in your top eight? No, I was never one of those. I thought that was a cop-out. Me either. Like, do you only have seven friends? And, of course, you had more than of seven course. friends. Of course I did. <laughs> That's why normal people can't relate to me. <laughs> or something like that. That sounds pretty big-headed of you. I know. How did I get in here today? <laughs> um, well, you are right. I am Joy, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer. And, Summer, if we... Um, attempted to kill the evil that was residing in a small town and we made a blood pact to return if said evil ever came back. Uh I would immediately return and um, we would vanquish the creature for good this time. Vanquisher was one of our she's. Right. With a great fortitude (laughs) and... Moxie. Moxie. Oh, teamwork. (laughs) I was borrowing from the Jen Hatmaker. We would chat it to death. Okay. Or giggle it to death. Right. That's what we do. I don't, I mean, I'm obviously referencing it. Obviously. But um, I have not read it. That's not how they vanquish it. There's like a specific way that you get rid of it. Well, don't tell me because I haven't seen the movie. Right. Or read the book. It's not going to be in the movie. Oh, okay. It's not, it's too much for the movie. Should I read the book? I think you should. Okay. I mean, that's a weird recommendation to make because it's obviously like if you haven't read Stephen King books, mm-hmm. then maybe you don't know, but mm-hmm. his books right. can include adult situations and okay. not for the faint of heart. Right. And some mm-hmm. of it is scary, I guess. Let's not go too deep into this. So that would be my recommendation. Right. Like, I just don't want anyone to take my recommending the book to you as uh-huh. like a, and uh, like as me applauding all the things that happen in the book <laughs> because that's how people would take it right 
Welcome to the internet. So anyway, hey, so um, last week we talked about Jesus Calling and we talked about Sola Scriptura and we talked about the Holy Spirit. And so we kind of alluded to this last week, but I didn't know if it was going to happen because the fish that we landed for this interview today is difficult. You guys won't even believe it. <laughs> I I had to... I had to let him buy me lunch in order to get him here today. <laughs> I mean, I just like the sacrifices you guys that I put into this are just, you should be really appreciative. <laughs> um, so anyway, thanks for coming in, Dad. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not the first time I bought you lunch. No, it's not. And it won't be the last. Uh, you had to, to let him buy you lunch <laughs> for 28 years. <laughs> right. I, used to, I right. used to pay for your lunch all the time. All the time. Yeah. I know. That's I know. Sort of your job. I know. I never went to school and was like, I can't eat today because my dad won't buy me lunch. Yeah. Like, that never yeah. happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, the great thing is, is last week, Joy was like, hey, everybody, go get the Forgotten Trinity and learn something. And a bunch of people did. But then I was like, well, why don't we just bring... The the forgotten trinity dude in right for you to listen to in addition to reading yes the book. you should still read the book that's true you should still read the book i remember i think this episode will not be dr james white just reading the forgotten <laughs> trinity no no so there will be things yes. missing yes. from this episode that are in the book yes so all of that to say so we had a lot of questions come up from our episode last week that were essentially like okay so you're saying that the Holy Spirit is not this like little voice inside your head telling you to like turn right or left. So can you please tell me then who is the Holy Spirit? Except the question was more like, what is the Holy Spirit? Which I think is the beginning of the problem. Right. Right. Yeah. If you say, what is the Holy Spirit? You're demonstrating you're really confused about that whole topic. So this is, and, and here's the thing, and I, I kind of feel bad for my dad because I'm about to do to him what I don't like what people do to me, is they ask you this very simple question and expect a very simple answer, but when you ask something like, uh, <clears throat> I had someone put me on the spot once before and they were like, so um, just tell me what the gospel is. <laughs> and you're like, well, <laughs> there's so many ways I can, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but so essentially, I think there is... And I think you did allude to this in the book that there there seems to be a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what his role actually is. So can you give Well, should we just let can we start with what is the problem with Oh okay what mm -hmm. is the Holy Spirit? Yes. Well, automatically that assumes that the spirit is a force or a power rather than a person. And since the spirit acts in our lives, it's easy to see how, and, and of course there's a tremendous amount of uh, imbalance in much of what is taught, especially in charismatic circles about the spirit as an empowering force. Mm. Uh, then people just assume, well, if you're empowered by the spirit to do such and so, uh, then the spirit is some type of a... Uh, impersonal force and of course there are groups that teach that jehovah's witnesses believe that uh you know in their new world translation they don't even capitalize holy in spirit you're baptized in holy spirit not the holy spirit but holy spirit small h small small s just like being baptized in water 
the spirit is an impersonal active force like the electricity and lights or running water, uh, mm. generating electricity in a dam or something like that. Mm. So uh, a lot of other people just assume that the spirit is just simply God manifest amongst us in some way. It's, it's God's spirit and he's in heaven, but he's just sort of remotely doing stuff by the spirit. And it is true that uh, amongst evangelicals in the church today, it's one thing to say there's one true God. Eh, we can for, sort of get that. Yeah, the Mormons sound a little weird and they have you know, an unlimited number of gods. Mm-hmm. And you know, most Christians will go, yeah, I believe in the deity of Christ. You know, well, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, Michael the Archangel, really? Seriously? Put them off to one side. Mm-hmm. The primary doctrine that evangelicals struggle with to even be able to... Uh, enunciate or express, let alone live in light of, write Mm -hmm. hymns in light of, anything else, Mm -hmm. worship in light of, is relationship between the divine persons. Because when you say there is one being of God shared by three divine persons, the the difference between being and person, a lot of people really struggle Mm -hmm. with understanding that, even though we live every day uh, making that distinction. Um, What do you mean by that? Well, uh, when when you drive down the road um, and you hit a rock in the road, you don't give it a second thought except that, oh man, did I just ruin my tire or nick the paint or whatever else? Because you realize that while the rock has substance, it has being, you don't want to run over it, but if you do, that rock does not have a name. Um, despite the pet rock craze years ago, uh, which did not last very long. Thankfully. Uh, because uh, we recognize it has being, but does not have personality. Uh, and yet, if you... Uh, Obviously, if you run into somebody on the road, uh, your reaction is completely different than running into a rock. So we recognize the difference between something that has being uh, and something that is both has being and is personal. And so we make that distinction every day. We live in light of it. But any, anything applied to God is going to be unique, unless, unless you want to have the idea that God isn't unique. So if God is unique, then any analogy that we use uh, any examples that we use of God are eventually going to break down. Right, right. Because an analogy by nature is taking something from the creation and likening it to God. Well, that can only take you so far. And right. And it'll always end up, it'll end up breaking down. So when we say that there's one being of God shared by three persons, it's the relationship of those persons. Because in our mind, person is a person with a physical body and therefore, you know, one person can go in one room, one person go in another room, and you can split God up into parts. And, and we, we take our creaturely categories and try to push them onto God. And it's sort of, it's sort of hard to avoid because it's our language. Right. You know, we're, we're using limited categories to try to uh, define that which is far beyond any, anything that we can imagine. So uh, when we talk about the relationship with the divine persons, uh, people really struggle. Um, one of the one of the heresies, the, the, actually, really the first heresy of the early church, even before they dealt with Arius and the denial of the deity of Christ, one of the first heresies of the church was people who denied that there were three divine persons. They had one person, like an actor on a stage, and he would act like the Father at some point, and act like the Son at another point, act like the Spirit at another point. And this was a, something called modalism. God had different modes of being, but wasn't actually tripersonal. And they, the church had to deal with that before they had to deal uh, with uh, Arius and his, his teaching that there was a time when the sun was not, when the sun came into existence at a point in time. He's a creature, highly exalted, but still, but still a creature. And so uh, 
I've often said that uh, I think if we went to the vast majority of evangelical churches on a Sunday morning, gave them a test on the doctrine of the Trinity, that uh, a majority would test uh, positive for modalism. Right. Uh, and I've, uh, it's very easy uh, to, I've done role plays with people where, you know, in just a short period of time, I've got them spouting modalism. Well, didn't Jesus say, I and the Father, we are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then, you know, Jesus and the Father are one person, right? Well, yeah. No, they're not. <laughs> uh, even, even in John 10, 30, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, he uses a plural verb. It could literally be translated, I and the Father, we are one. Even in that, there is a distinction properly made between the Father and the Son. So, uh, it's the relationship between uh, the persons that a lot of people really struggle with. And then you add to that the fact that it's not the Spirit's role to uh, accentuate his own ministry. It's even said in Scripture, his role is to, uh, to take of Christ things and to glorify him and to convict the world of sin. And he's not pointing toward himself. And so when you compare the amount of discussion in the New Testament specifically, because the Trinity is revealed while it's, it's prophetically seen in the Old Testament. Its actual revelation is in the, the gutter of the pages between Malachi and Matthew. A lot of people don't understand what I mean by that. But uh, what we need to realize is the revelation actually took place in the incarnation and in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that was all between Malachi and Matthew because everything from Matthew on is written in light of that historical event of the incarnation, the outpouring of the Spirit. Everything written before that was beforehand. And so that's where the revelation is, is in between the two. So the New Testament, it's, it's not its purpose to reveal the Trinity. The New Testament is written in light of the already haven't happened revelation of the Trinity. And so, you know, people would sort of prefer the New Testament to be written like a systematic theology where you can look in the index and yeah. go, oh, I want the part on the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's that. And, I can go, <laughs> I can go, and, and you know, right. uh, that's what people want. That's not what you get. Um, that's not how God's revelation has ever been. Uh, but because there is so much less, there's so much more about the Father, so much more about the Son than there is about the Spirit, especially at that point, um, the Spirit is really subject to a lot of crazy teaching especially yeah. especially today um because even though you find the spirit in parallel with the father and the son and there's numerous trin trinitarian passages when you think about it uh in the new testament not just the name of the father son holy spirit one name three persons um but you you have a number of other places where the the three are are, are brought together uh so even though you have that teaching you have him described as god you have him described as being personal he has a will uh, he gives the gifts as he wills, for example, right. demonstrating the Spirit is personal um, and is sent by the Father and the Son, distinguished from both the Father and the Son in Jesus' own teaching in John 14 and 16 about the Spirit. Um, even though you, you do have all that, you still don't have the, the, just the repetitive amount of material that you have in regards to the deity of Christ and things like that. Right. So it, it becomes easy for the Spirit to become sort of the, the, the playground of people uh, coming up with some pretty wild and crazy ideas and coming up with the idea that the Spirit is not truly a divine person who's eternally existed uh, in the presence of the Father and the Son. And then, of course, you can get into some pretty, pretty deep woods, shall we say, when you start trying to probe the relationship that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit in eternity past. Because yeah. almost everything we know about 
their relationship has been revealed to us in time. So we can tell the difference between the Father and the Son because it's not the Father who became incarnate. It was the Son who was sent by the Father. And the, the Son is continually saying, I have been sent by the Father. I've been sent by someone else. I'm doing someone else's will. Right. Um, I and the Father are going to send the Spirit. But see, that's all in light of creation. That's all in light of redemption. That's all in light of what's called the economic trinity. That is where uh, the trinity is revealed to us in what God has done in redemption. What about before creation? Uh, was the son the son before mm. he was sent? Uh, what's, why would the son be the son and the father be the father and the spirit be the spirit? Is there a relationship between them? And, and that's where you start getting into some pretty, pretty deep woods and some controversies that came up uh, recently, but actually just represent controversies that go back, you know, 14, 15, 1600 years, uh, 1700 years, really. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and so because of that, you know, most Christians just don't really feel comfortable even wandering into that area. And uh, as a result, um, modalist uh, singing groups and artists uh, gain wide acceptance within uh, the Christian community because yeah, I can't even really figure it out myself. Why should I really worry if they have a different view on something like this? Um, and so that, that's a big issue as well. But especially in regards to the spirit, uh, yeah. yeah, it becomes a real, uh, a real problem. Uh, and there's, there's not a lot of really good solid teaching on, on the subject of, of the spirit uh, as, a, as a result. And, and you get a lot of really bad stuff in its place right now he handed me the question that i really want to ask on a platter but we'll come back to that because the question i want to ask is not the question everybody else wants me to ask thank you so i you're caught just, it so you're just going to give in no no I'm not, I'm not going to give in i'm not going to give in i'll but i'll ask the question everybody else wants me to ask first okay okay so who is the holy spirit and what is his job well, uh, the Holy Spirit is differentiated from the Father and the Son. He's an eternal divine person. Uh, he is God in and of himself, just as the Son is God in and of himself. Uh, he is equal with the Father and the Son in participation in the divine being. This is very important, I think. A lot of people have the idea that each of the divine persons is one-third of God. Right. Um, What's that called again? Heresy. <laughs> 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 now there's a word for that. I'm trying to remember what it is. Uh, I have a very clear picture in my head of being in Sunday school. Then, being and Warren in, or uh, Mike or somebody. Mike Porter's class. Yeah. And he was like, okay, everybody go up to the board and draw a picture of what you think the Trinity is. And Lots of clovers. It was like, right. It was like, he. I, I thought I was really smart because I drew an egg. Shell. Oops. Whatever. whatever you know what I mean? Like I was... You're I was seven. Okay. <laughs> here I thought I had, I, had, I had started you earlier. Well, not my daughter. <laughs> yeah, not my daughter. Well, just so you know, I totally passed Tim Charlie's Trinity test. Yeah, well, so. uh, Yusuf Ismail, who I just debated in South Africa, did too. So that's what I'm not really saying. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Great. Anyway, I don't even Sorry, remember. Sorry, Yusuf. Congratulations <laughs> on that, by the way. Anyway, all of that to say... Um, Right, I thought so. There's, there's modalism, Arianism. Oh, subordinationism. Is that? I don't well, subordinationism and Arianism are the same thing. Okay. And then you've got modalism, and then you've got uh, polytheism. 
I feel like right. I feel like there should be three major Trinitarian heresies. I just feel yeah, like that's po- the right number. Okay. Polytheism is the denial of the fact there's only one true God. Right. Uh, subordinationism would be the denial of the equality of the persons, and modalism would be the denial of the existence of the three divine persons. Got it. Okay, totally cut you off there. So you said most Trinity of heresy, right? Is what we just discussed. <laughs> That's what I was guys. like trying to right. Um, so what you're saying was like most people believe there's like each person of the Trinity is like one third God, right, right? And it can't can't be that way because the being of God is indivisible and simple. It's not God is not made up of a bunch of different little parts, right? Uh, his being is indivisible, and so each of the divine persons fully participates in the being of God, and so the Spirit's not one third, or maybe. Or maybe, you know, one fifth, and then the Son and the Spirit are a little bit more, Son and the Father a little bit more, or something like that. No, if 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 there's going to be any reality to this truth, then each fully participates in the divine being. But the question that came up um, was, what does it mean for the Son to be? generated by the Father, or to be begotten by the Father, or mm-hmm. what does it mean for the Spirit to be? to proceed from the Father and the Son, or just from the Father, if you're an Eastern Orthodox person. Uh, that's a whole other big issue historically on that matter as well. And eventually there, there, there became some troubling views that, for example, that idea meant that the Son's participation in the divine being was mediated to him through the Father. And then the Spirit's participation in divine being, even though it's a full participation, is mediated through the Father and the Son. And all of this is to say, well, how could we have differentiated? How could we have recognized Father, Son, and Spirit before creation? What are the essential uh, attributes of their relationship to one another? Okay. And what we need to recognize is most of the time we're dealing with this kind of, of theology we're not defining positively what the truth is. We are defining negatively what the truth isn't. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we're, we, what Scripture gives us is the, the parameters. The truth is inside these parameters. We know what the parameters are, but we know more about what the errors are outside than we necessarily do about the specifics of the truth inside, mm-hmm. especially when we're dealing with stuff that's so far beyond our, our human conception. Right. So when it's something unique to which we can't compare anything else, then we can say, well, it's not that. Right. We can't necessarily positively say, but it is that, because that positive thing is something that's absolutely unique. So. Uh, this is this is true of the relationship of the divine persons. It's also true in the other absolutely unique aspect of Christian theology, and that is the incarnation. So what's the relationship of the divine and human in Jesus? Uh, that, that's another area where we basically define the outer limits and say it's not any of this stuff. It's that, but we know more about what's out here than we know about what's in the center because he's absolutely unique. And obviously it wasn't the Spirit's intention to reveal to us. For example, everybody wants to know what Jesus was like when he was six. You know, what's, <laughs> what's the God-man like as right. a kid? And, and the Bible doesn't, the Bible gives us one little glimpse mm-hmm. at age 12. Right. And then the next thing we have is age 30, basically. Right. And that's one of the reasons why the Gnostic Gospels were written, is the Gnostics, they wanted those stories. Right. And so they decided to fill in where 
the Spirit of God had not given us anything. And so all those Gnostic Gospels mm. are all focused upon right. what Jesus did and, and uh, all the rest of this kind of stuff. Um, so fan in both fiction. those... <laughs> fan fiction, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah basically, yeah. <laughs> Except fan fiction of like a divine work. Right. Not so, just like any book. So, which will mm, always end problem. up being problematic. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 I have so. problems with fan fiction right. of non-divine, <laughs> right. of normal worldly but books. But this stuff is just trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did lead to some serious problems, yeah. Yeah. No, no choice about it. Um, so th- you can see why so many people just sort of stay away from the whole thing. Right. Because mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, I, I, know, I know a lot about uh, the educational system in most of our seminaries, and with only a few exceptions, you can go through a lot of seminaries, and your systematic theology training would be pretty much a church history course on what people used to believe, rather than a positive "this is what we're supposed to believe" type mm-hmm. type thing. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of people end up graduating, and the reason they don't preach on the Trinity is, if they're really honest with their folks, they don't really understand it themselves either. Right. They don't want to be, really want to be asked questions about it and things like that. And, you know, I've got a big, long sermon about how this has deeply impacted the worship of the church, the hymnology, prayer. I mean, if, if, if you don't have a clear conception of who God is in, in your, uh, even how you address God in prayer, how, how, many times, how many times do you hear somebody in public prayer do something along the lines of, uh, our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for all the wonderful things you've done for us, and we thank you for dying for us on the cross of Calvary and stuff like that. And right. that happens almost every single day, but what I just uttered was, was untrue. Right. Or I was just being unclear because I just changed my address yeah. from the Father to the Son. Right. And then there are other right. people who teach it's never appropriate to address the Son or the Spirit in prayer. That's Why? very popular. Oh. It's, it's always supposed to be, there are many people who teach that you only address the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that Why? like a form of subordination? Like no, they don't, it's, they just, it's that... just, it's many would say that just the examples they see in scripture, that's normative. It okay. is, it, w- it would be normative, but it's not the only thing. I mean, in First Corinthians chapter one, Christians are described as those who epikaleo, call upon the name of the Lord. The Lord there is clearly his son. It's, it's clearly Jesus. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, um, in the context of his having gone back to heaven, that uh, his disciples would ask him and he would act in their behalf. Well, the only way they could ask him once he's gone back to heaven is in prayer, obviously. So right. John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's obviously requires prayer. So if you can address the father, you can address the son, uh, we often uh, at, at PRBC, I, I often lead the, the pastoral prayers there uh, on Sunday mornings. Uh, we'll start off uh, you know, to our, our great triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But I obviously attempt to be clear in, in who I'm addressing mm-hmm. uh, in, those, in those prayers. And, and we just hear a lot of confusion on the part of Christians uh, in recognizing the differences in the roles the Father, Son, and Spirit have taken in redemption. And then once you get before creation, the idea of what's called uh, generation and spiration or procession, et cetera, et cetera, the, the, the things that identify Father, Son, and Spirit in their relationship with one another without any reference to creation. That's when you start getting into some pretty deep woods uh, that, that a lot of folks are very uncomfortable even uh, 
even going there. Um, and so you would think this would be an area that we would want to invest a tremendous amount of time and effort in, but sadly, um, when I travel around the world speaking, if I'm doing seminars on uh, the Trinity, uh, in-depth stuff like this, in comparison to doing something on prophecy or something like that, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. we have a few seats left open uh, <laughs> right. in those particular situations. Yeah, they're not nearly as uh, as uh, in demand, shall we say, as, as right. the other, other topics. Right. So the spirit is, it, it, the spirit has a specific role. Jesus said the spirit uh, would not be sent until he had been glorified. And so the spirit, the father, son, and the spirit in eternity past chose the roles that they would take. It was not a situation where the father forces the son, and the spirit to do things. There is unity between them, but there's also order as well. And so the spirit has voluntarily and of his own sovereign will uh, taken the role of the one who will indwell uh, believers, will direct them to Christ, will convict the world of sin, uh, will, will be the, the guide and light, uh, the one through whom the, 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 uh, the scriptures are given to us, etc., etc. And uh, so that's the role that he, he has to this, uh, to this very day within the church. Uh, but he gives the gifts as he wills. That demonstrates he's personal. That demonstrates his sovereignty. Um, the idea that we can order him around uh, by the power of faith or anything like that, just utterly unknown to the, uh, the New Testament writers. So what would you say in those cases where someone's like, you know, I, I knew things I wasn't supposed to know. And I know it was the Holy Spirit. Like I knew I needed to go help this person. The Holy Spirit directed me to turn right um, because I've heard things like that recently. Mm. Um, how do we, what do we, if we have a understanding of the Holy Spirit that's of, of who he is and it's grounded in scripture um, and we do believe in the supernatural, then what do we make of those situations? Right. Well, in the vast majority of situations, uh, when you have someone who says, well, you know, the Spirit told me to do this, the Spirit told me to do that, um, my, my concern is uh, that it uh, can be very difficult to differentiate between uh, the feelings and emotions you have and the specific guidance of the Holy Spirit of God and the person who is best capable of making that discernment would be the person who knows the word of God, which is the very word of the spirit, uh, to the to the greatest depth. And yet the people that I hear most often talking about those types of things, are the people that don't know that word to the greatest depth. Um, I would think if the Holy Spirit is so actively involved in your life that um, there would be a a deep commitment to your knowledge of the Word of God, which came from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God would drive you into the Word which has been given. So in the vast majority of instances, uh, we have to, and I'm not saying, uh, you notice hear me, hearing me say, vast majority of instances, not all. Right. I'm not a naturalist. Uh, I, I, I don't talk about the uh, incidents in my own life very much where there have been supernatural guidances because that's just, that's just me. That's, uh, that can't be normative for somebody else. Uh, any type of feeling or impression that we have 
uh, has to be subordinated to an objective revelation. And so anyone who says, well, the Spirit told me to go, you know, into debt to do this or something like that, you know, I, I just go, oh, wait a minute, don't, don't blame God for, uh, for your Ferrari. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. uh, and, I've, and I've heard a lot of people that have made that, yeah. kind, of, that, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, be very, very careful as to what you attempt to attribute to uh, the Holy Spirit of God, because that Spirit of God is the one that gave us the Scriptures. And if the Scriptures had given you categories uh, that if you had been wise, you would have followed them, uh, you know, don't, don't say the Scripture, that the, the Spirit did something else. In my situation where, where I would say that there was a spiritual, supernatural experience, it was almost always in a, in a mission field witnessing type situation where you're given um, direction in the sense of how to approach somebody mm-hmm. uh, or given recollection of scripture or insight into what someone meant by you know, opening doors for the gospel to go uh, forth to someone along those lines. You, you right. have pretty good evidence of that type of thing because that's what the Spirit's role is, is going to be, is right. empowering us in that way. Unfortunately, the vast majority of what is attributed to the Spirit uh, on various channels uh, on TV, like the one between 20 and 22, um, that, uh, you, you know, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. is just... Well, like, uh, I saw a car accident and God told me to pull over. It's like, no, <laughs> you probably were being a decent human being and you just were like, right. I should pull yes. over and see if someone needs help. So, so when the Buddhist uh, pulled over next to you, did, was, did God tell them that too? Is that right. make, does that make Buddhism correct too? Yeah, right. it, does, it does make you wonder. Right. So, okay, then let's get into what I really want to ask him. And don't turn this off because I think this is so important. So... There's a threat that it might be turned off. Yeah, like like people might think like this isn't important. Oh 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 oh! I thought you were talking about over in the control oh, room. No no it's no. Like, like, no no. Hmm, okay. Carmen is a great producer. I'm oh. not worried about him. <laughs> um, okay. Earlier you referred to the economic trinity, and I want you to explain what that means and tell us a little bit about. So you have alluded to, and I think this is important. Not just like especially for women, but I think women are really listening to this right now. Um, they're very concerned about this debate. And uh, you might have seen it alluded to before as the EFS debate or the ESS debate. Um, and I'm not really sure what the difference in terms Eternal like, functional subordination or eternal subordination of the sun. Right. They're both the, are they the same, same thing? thing? Pretty okay. much, yeah. They're pretty mm-hmm. much the same thing. So there's this... You know, a lot of people, a lot of big names are really upset about this debate, um, that it hasn't been settled. And as much as I try to read about it, <laughs> I I don't know what the quite why the tenor of it is so high. Mm. Um, and so I'm hoping you can explain just what is that debate? Why is the tenor so high? What is it? Well, I can tell you about the debate. I can't. I. I, I don't really know why the the tenor is so high. To be honest with you, other than it seems to me that when it exploded in May of last year, April May of last year, uh, it did so because it was connected to uh, the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and the whole egalitarian uh, controversy. Okay. And so. Let me, let me define what it is, and we can see why it's, it's connected to that. The, when we talk about the economic trinity, we're talking about the trinity as revealed in redemption, and hence the Father is the fountainhead 
the Son is the one who accomplishes in the Incarnation. The Spirit is the one who comes and makes applications. So in the economic trinity, we can differentiate between the persons because they take different roles in the accomplishment. The issue here is before creation, before there is a, uh, a namas, a work uh, to be, to be for revelation to take place in, before creation is taking place. Before Genesis 1. Before Genesis 1. Okay. Uh, then the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, is there an eternal functional subordination within the very nature of the Godhead between the divine persons so that um, when we speak of the Father first and the Son second and the Spirit third, is there anything in their relationship that of necessity indicates a subordination of of the Son to the Father and the Spirit to both the Father and, and the Son, even though that may not enter into most of the discussion. The reason this, it's not that this hasn't been discussed in the past. The answer is no, right? Well, let, let's, let's. Let, <laughs> okay. okay. Some, sometimes, sometimes giving answers before you've got the foundation is, is, is somewhat misleading and, and prejudi prejudicial. So, okay. um, I just the feel like reason, I'm in Sunday school, so I'm the, like, the, no. This stuff, <laughs> it's not that this stuff has not been discussed in, in the past, and it most certainly has. Um, a lot of this discussion, however, could not have come up until after the Council of Nicaea, uh, which was in what year? Now you see... Joy. <laughs> now, 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 the reason I ask this is because... Um, I'm teaching church history right now right. at PRBC. Yes. And uh, everybody at PRBC now knows. Can tell and you they when the Council of Nicaea they is. They won't fail this because, test. Because I always tell people when you take my final exam, this is on the test <laughs> and you must get this good, one correct. What a good teacher you are. So everybody knows when the Council of Nicaea was at, at, uh, at PRBC. So, do you guys know? I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> I actually was in a one of your church history classes, and you were like, "This is the answer. Don't yes. get this wrong ever." <laughs> but now I'm like, "There's like two two numbers that are in my head," and I'm like, "I just know I'm gonna say the wrong thing." I'm Summer, just do you know? so bad at numbers. Like when Clementine counts, so like bad at numbers. <laughs> oh wow! You could blame your math issues. First the egg. I'm so That's pretty bad. Failure, you guys. That's pretty bad. Three twenty-five AD. I knew. Okay. I was gonna guess four something. See, I either had three twenty-five or seven twenty-five. I don't know yeah, why seven. Would be way down right. There. Yeah. yeah I was like, I don't think it's seven, but for some reason, right. Those two were okay. Right. So once you have now, of course. 325 doesn't mean it was settled because I, I hope everybody knows that for 40 years after the Council of Nicaea, the Arians were in ascendancy. Uh, it was Athanasius against the world. Uh, the, even the Pope of Rome gave in to Arianism for a period of time. But anyway, uh, basically by the Council of Constantinople in 381, the belief in the deity of Christ has been firmly established. And so for the next number of, of, of decades, what you've got is, okay, then what's the relationship between the divine and the human in Christ? And at the same time, in what's called post-Nicene Orthodoxy, you have this discussion of, is there an eternal functional subordination? What does it mean when it says the Son is begotten by the Father? What does that mean? I mean, they always meant it was an eternal thing. 
So it wasn't like it happened one day and the sun came into existence. Okay, now that we know this is an eternal relationship, even though it's an eternal relationship, does that still introduce an eternal functional subordination of the son to the father? And then you have to extend that out to discussion of the spirit, so on and so forth. So the things that go into this question are when you say, uh, and, and this, was, this is interesting because it came up at the time of the Reformation, um, uh, John Calvin has a whole section in the Institutes on his strong belief over against some of the post-Nicene writers, over against them, that the Son is what's called autotheos, God in and of himself. So Calvin said, if you do not confess that the Son is autotheos, you cannot avoid subordinationism. No matter what you do, you're eventually going to have to in some way make Jesus lesser than the Father if you do not say he's autotheos, and hence with the Spirit as well. So you're saying that this, all of this was not settled at Nicaea. Well, not, well, not only, well, Nicaea didn't discuss this. Okay. Nicaea didn't discuss this. Once Nicaea affirmed that Jesus was truly God, then these questions have to be addressed. And they're addressed in the uh, 125 years after that up until what's called the Council of Chalcedon 451. Pretty much it's, it's discussed at that point. But as we saw just last year, you had people on both sides of this controversy interpreting the post-Nicene fathers in different ways. Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm because, confused right now. Yeah, because you can, well, they weren't infallible and they weren't perfectly consistent. And you could look at Gregory of Nyssa and you could look at Basil of Caesarea and you can sort of play them off against each other. And there are very few people, honestly, uh, who have read enough in that time period to to be able to definitively say this is where this person was, that's where that person was, and that's why you had scholars lining up on both sides of the issue, at least as far as how to interpret those early church early church uh, documents. But and of course we don't believe that those people are infallible. They're, they are they are lights. They they have great they thought mm-hmm. a great deal about this a whole lot more mm-hmm. than we generally do. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make them infallible. And if they're following a tradition that goes beyond scripture. And we're getting into an area here now where we are at the, you know, if scripture is, if scripture is when you turn uh, the brightest light on your cell phone on and you're in the complete darkness, um, that only goes so far. And when you get to the sort of the outer edge, mm-hmm. we're sort of at the outer edge of scriptural light at this point. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, there's only so much that scripture says that can give us guidance at this point. And that's one of the reasons that I wasn't one of those kicking folks out of the kingdom over this. I take a position, but I'm, I'm a little hesitant because I do believe in Sola Scriptura. Um, to kick people out of the kingdom, once you get out to the, out to the outer edge of the, how, how much light we actually can, can shine, inspired light, we can actually shine on something like this. So what happened is uh, a year and a half ago, um, and this is, this is, this is what I, where I have a problem. We came to this argument, I think, bottom up instead of top down. So in other words, I think we need to look at the doctrine of God first and foremost and answer this question from up here. The discussion started down here because people involved in the egalitarian debate and, mm-hmm. and trying to stem the tide of feminism and... And, uh, you know, the the complementarians are debating the egalitarians. And 
in that debate, as you've probably heard, what eventually developed was the complementarians started pointing to the idea that, well, uh, back up and I'll give you a little, little fun inside story here. I have 1998, I stood at the NET, the New English Translation Table, at the Evangelical Theological Society, somewhere in Florida, I forget where it was. Um, and I had a lengthy conversation with Dr. Dan Wallace. Now, Dan Wallace is a, is a, is a brilliant scholar. Um, I, I hope he considers me his friend. I certainly consider him mine. We don't agree on everything. Uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a sad thing to me that there are so many people in the church that if you have disagreements with someone, you just kick them out of the kingdom automatically. Um, I've learned a tremendous amount from Dan Wallace, um, but we disagree on some things. And one of the things we disagree on is this. Mm. And I didn't, didn't realize it at the time, but uh, we sat there. It was, it was the funnest thing I did the entire time at ETS. We stood there for a solid hour discussing the Carmen Christi, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And we never opened a Bible because we both had it memorized in Greek and we're, we're, we're doing it all in Greek. It was so much fun because he's one of the leading Greek grammarians in, in the United States. So, so we're discussing, you know, forms and uses and, and it was just, it was just awesome. Well, why did we disagree on the Carmen Christi? Because I understand what Paul's saying there is that the son possessed equality with the father, but did not consider that equality with the Father as something to be held on to at all costs, but instead made himself of no reputation. And he understands that, uh, that verb differently than I do, and part of the reason is that from the complementarian perspective, there is this natural order of Father, Son, and Spirit so that just as there is no inferiority of the son, even though there is a difference in relationship, in the same way, man and woman can be differentiated from one another and have different roles, but still both bear the image of God and be equal bef before God. And so it's become a part of egalitarian argumentation to say there's no distinction between the roles of the, per, uh, of, the, of, of the persons in the Trinity, and therefore there shouldn't be a, between male and female. Right. And the complementarians are saying, no, 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 there is this eternal uh, differentiation and yet full equality. And so my concern is it seems to me that that's not the context in which you want to be debating this issue. Right. You're going from not the creation own, upward yeah rather than yeah, this right. being unique up here. And if this can shine some light down here, okay. okay right. But it really seems to me that it's going the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, Don't use the Trinity to validate your own personal and agenda. Even if, and, even, and even something we all agree is important. Uh, sure. Male and female relationships. Right. And I, I mean, it's tearing churches apart, right, right. left and center. But we, we get it. But it just seems, my, my view is, and obviously the complementarian guys that are saying this, no, 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 we're not, we're, that's not what we're doing, that's not what we're doing. Okay, I'm sort of on the outside looking in going, oh, it, it seems like that's what's, what's happening here. Right. And that, that is very concerning to me. Because, um, because I, 
I am in, engaged in apologetics and I have to take this outside of the realm of the nice, comfortable Christian academy and actually take this into debate with people who deny all of this stuff. I, I, I sort of approach things a little bit differently. I have, I think, different emphases than a lot of folks that are never going to debate with a Muslim or never debate an atheist or something like that. Um, and as a result, I want to emphasize that when we talk about the Son being begotten by the Father, this is not only an eternal thing, but it does not involve inferiority, and it does not take away from the fact that the Son is autotheos. I do have a serious problem with the idea that the Son's participation in the divine being is mediated by the Father. That, to me, I can't see how you can avoid subordinationism at that point. just can't see how you can avoid right. it. So when it comes to the idea of eternal functional subordinationism, obviously I, I reject the idea that there is something in the divine relationship that automatically involves any kind of subordination when it comes to participation in the divine being. Mm -hmm. I think one of the strongest arguments for maybe a lesser form of this or a less strong assertion of it uh, there is a good question they ask, and that is, would it, could, have, could we ever conceive a situation in which it would have been possible for the Son, I'm sorry, sorry, for the Father to be incarnate rather than the Son? And see, so we automatically go, No, no way. No. No. But that's what the EFS people are saying. That's exactly right. You're right. There's, it's not possible, which means there is an eternal functional subordination. Oh... Okay. Okay. Wow. Now, is that just because of our experience of the economic trinity? Right. Our language of father and son? Right. Would this... Or th what? Doesn't this have to do with the aseity of God then? Um, n not, not specifically. Um, I, I, but, you know, that's one of the things that's bothered me is that, is that there has been, and I'll have to admit primarily from the side that I would actually be... Uh, agree with uh, agree with there, there has tended to be a, a willingness to say, to to do the if you disagree on this that means that you compromise on this 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 and this look you can make the argument you know i would make the argument that if you don't believe that the sun is autotheos that you're going to have a really difficult time avoiding if pressed far enough subordinationism well if pressed far enough that may never happen in your life yeah. In your teaching role, your writing role, your ministry, you may never even be pushed to actually think that through far enough. Yeah. And so the reality is we all hold theological positions that if they were pushed far enough, we might see have holes in them or inconsistencies. But how many of us are ever really pushed that far? Right. Um, and so if, if, I, if I recognize my Arminian brothers as brothers, and that's a pretty major area of difference there, then certainly when it comes to something like this, I'm going to be a little bit hesitant to throw too many anathemas around right. uh, when you have merely differences of emphasis at, at this point. I think, obviously, from my perspective, the idea of introducing an eternal functional subordination that is necessary within the nature of the relationship of the divine persons, that is problematic, um, and I'm concerned about it, but those that have held that position have very strongly asserted that they believe in the absolute full deity of Christ, his full participation in divine nature. 
that they're not going there. And okay, you can make the argument, okay, you're not going there, congratulations, but once we see your students going there, then you've, we've proven our point or whatever else. Okay, fine. Um, but it, it, I'm not sure how helpful it is when, when the anathemas are the first things that, that appear right. on our blogs and, right. and things right. like that. I'm just having such a hard time connecting. I don't know if I ever will be able to connect it because I just don't agree with it. But essentially, so the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, they some of them hold to this EFS position. Mm-hmm. And because they were involved in writing the national statement, what I'm hearing now is, well, you can't, I'm not going to take lessons on sexual ethics from someone who believes in EFS. Right. And even after having this discussion, I can't explain to you why that is. <laughs> yeah, I, I really struggle with that as well because obviously, uh, I mean, I guess if someone wants to somehow attempt to uh, try to draw a, a pretty straight and obvious line uh, between uh, EFS and your positions on this, go ahead. I. I did not see anything in the Nashville statement that demanded any uh, critical reflection upon my Trinitarian theology. It's not, it's not addressing the subject. And so it really becomes an issue of, yeah, but we have this other disagreement with these people, and so we can't agree with them on anything. And it's right. like, you know, um, Bruce Ware is one of the people on the other side of this, of this uh, issue from me. Mm-hmm. And yet his work on open theism has been extremely useful. You know, you, you, it, there, there is an attitude of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And, yeah. and I, I know where it comes from, but I, I'm thankfully have hopefully grown up uh, and, and don't embrace a lot of that kind of stuff anymore. I've, I've been very confused, to be honest with you. Uh, when I see people saying, you know, I just, I, I just can't believe that, that you'd sign the Nashville statement because, and, and when I talked about it on my program, I said, look, I wish it had said this, I wish it had said that, I wish it had addressed things like this, but mm-hmm. when you make a statement, you're trying to bring together a coalition of people, mm-hmm. and it's not going to look exactly like you necessarily want it to look. Right. Uh, yeah. You just don't seem to understand how to try to get people together. Uh, if, if you think that you can tailor it to be exactly what you want. Um, well, I think, there you go. If it's exactly <laughs> what you want, then you're talking about something you wrote essentially serving you (laughs) right like that wasn't the point of it right committee of one yeah and so what it said i can affirm what i said what it said i think is very very important and some people said yeah but you know you could interpret it this way or you could interpret it that way well okay uh there, there, you, can do that with the, you can do that with the, you, well, you can do that with the Bible too. <laughs> right, uh, yeah. It could be interpreted this way. It could be right. interpreted that way. Uh, right. that's, that's not really the issue. The issue is in the context in which it was delivered, does it state biblical truth that God has a purpose for manhood and womanhood? Right. All this self-expression stuff in it. Yeah. I, I was like, right. what, what exactly do you mean by that? The self-conception. Uh, self-conception yeah. stuff. I, I get that. But it also very clearly states. God gets to define all that stuff. And if you don't follow God's perspective on that, well, you can't expect God's blessing on what you come up with. Okay, great. Right. Uh, could, could that have been said in, a, in another way? Fine. But you know what? Um, I've, I'm, just, I'm just getting past this idea that, well, you know, there were a couple of people on there that they don't quite right. uh, dot, the, dot the I's and cross the T's the way I do. So I'm just not going to have anything to do with them. You allow your <sighs> opinion to kind of, right. like your, your opinion makes you intentionally misunderstand the point. Yes. Um, yes, that's totally how I feel about this. Right. Is it's like, 
well, but what about this? And this has to do with this and let's connect this over here. And it's like, I'm normally all like for drawing lines, but right. the lines they're drawing just seem to completely miss the point to right. me. Like, like you're if I don't like you, I'm going to have a problem with what you say. <laughs> yeah. No matter what you talk, like even if- I'm going to find it. Right. I will find the thing yes. that will like, so I can cut ties. Right. Or and, and believe me, I I have been myself. You know about this. So <laughs> absolutely uh, attacked on the most absurd grounds over the past right. a number of months that I just uh, I would be a glowing hypocrite if I if I wasn't careful in uh, in right. trying to make those uh, those arguments that. in other in other contexts. Yeah. Right. Okay. Woo. Well. This one went a little bit longer yeah, than you normally I think, do. Um, yeah. I feel like, well, class dismissed. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, that was great. So let's save, um, I have a great Feminist of the Week. We'll save it for the next I'm going to save it for the next episode where we are also. You guys will not believe who our guest you is. You guys will not believe who our guest is next week. Um, my mom Let's just, just make it a me. surprise. <laughs> okay, I won't tell you guys, but I do have the perfect Feminist of the Week. Because it has to do with bicycles. Oh. And that might give you guys a clue as to who the guest is next week. They have week. no idea. They don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Um, I hope that you got your theology nerd on today and learned something. And be sure to hit us up on patreon.com slash theologians. Summer, want- I think sometime soon we should do um, an episode just all in Greek. Yeah, let's all you know. Yeah, and then we'll just you know, like, like the, da- the story all, your dad was. I was like, yeah. oh, that's so summer night all the time. <laughs> We're always like talking about three twenty five and only speaking to each other in Greek, right? In unsealed texts and. <laughs> Um, the other day when we were looking over our Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. Our copy. <laughs> that they sent us. Right. The owners of the Thanks. Dead Sea Scrolls. Thanks. They were like, you guys need this. <laughs> if anybody can get use out of it, it's It'll you be girls. <laughs> we have really generated some attention. <laughs> okay. So if you guys want to know more about the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, head on over to patreon.com. <laughs> Sheologians, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. From a stone, watch your fear, just run your